This is Beyond the Bell Tower, where an elite group of North Carolina State University students give us a behind-the-scenes look at their steps to success and show us how they attain even their lofty goals. These students, who are in the top 10% of the country, are active in student support services at NC State, a nationally recognized program designed to provide support for low-income, first-generation college students. Nationally, this population has an 11% graduation rate within six years. The student support services students surpass that rate each year and go on to become doctors, dentists, accountants, and engineers. They work at Google, Apple, and the NCAA. They have earned PhDs in Ivy League colleges. These students go well beyond the bell tower to reach this level of success. Welcome to Beyond the Bell Tower, the podcast for TRIO students by TRIO students. And today it's so exciting that we have Aubriana Johnson, who is an alum of TRIO, and just recently she had a major life experience or transition, a major life event, where she was able to quit her day job and work full time on a business that she actually started. And so she's going to talk about a couple of things and we have a lot of time where it is going to be like we'll talk into two parts of your academic experience at NC State and your experience kind of before some of the major accomplishments. There's a lot of details and advice and information you're able to offer students about like how would you start your own business, be able to work at it full time being 25, 26? I'm 27. 27! You look 22. Oh, thanks, girl. But that's the piece is under 30. I mean, that's just amazing. And it's not that, which we'll talk a little bit about, but I'm assuming it's not because uh, your parents gave you a million dollar loan as other people, or you, you grew up with a family that had their independent businesses. And so you lived around that culture and knew like what to do and had there to assist you. If you want to introduce yourself to share to the trio students who you are, what's important about you, what you want them to know. Yeah, yeah. So hi, everybody. My name is Abriana Johnson, and I graduated from NC State in 2014. I received my bachelor's of science in animal science, uh, came through NC State as a pre-veterinary student. I still, I still say that I'm a, a pre-vet student of life because I still appreciate veterinary medicine so very much. And vet school is still on my bucket list, but is a little bit lower on the, the priority list right now. I am the one of the co-hosts and creators of Young Black Equestrians, the podcast. So this podcasting thing is my jam. And I have authored and illustrated two children's books in a book series called Cowgirl Cameron. And I, like Sarah alluded to, started my business, Black Unicorn Creative, earlier this year. I'll I'll go into that more of that a little bit later on, but 
I quit my job at the end of August and pursued my business full time. And this is your second business, correct? Or it's not technically my second business. I kind of just did a pivot under the same name. So I started off doing like crafty things, cutting vinyl and, you know, customizing things using the name Black Unicorn Creative. But then I realized I did, I wanted to do that stuff for fun. I didn't want to do it because people were asking me to do it. So I kind of held on to the name. And then once I kind of got into the business world and the horse industry business. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about the one where you did the volunteer vets came on the trail rides. Oh yeah. No, that wasn't a business. That was, that was me trying to get in the vet school. So that was more volunteering. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it could have been a business. It could have been a nonprofit. It definitely could have. I didn't, I don't know. I didn't know that it could have been that during the time. But um, I, I recently had a veterinarian say, hey, I would be interested in doing that. And I was like, oh, God, lady, I have to do right now. <laughs> do, not, do not put that bug in my ear because, you know, I will make stuff happen. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, they could start the business and then they could pay you as a consultant. <laughs> so. Exactly. Exactly. I would. That's my ultimate job is to just get paid to tell people what to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I already say that's my part-time job. <laughs> if um, and I'm sure it would be endorsed on LinkedIn by several people if that were an option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do and telling people what to do unsolicited. <laughs> but I do want to start kind of talking about who you are as a person and on your business, kind of like which seems one of your missions of black unicorn creative is you have the questions like what makes you tick why do you get up every morning that you will help you discern what is and is not for you but can you answer those questions yeah yeah so i realized when taking the leap as people like to say that a lot of the hold up or the the setbacks or the reluctance for people to start their own business is their mindset. So it was very important to me, especially as someone who was leaving the veterinary or not. Well, yeah, leaving the veterinary profession. See, I see, I, I have to catch myself because it's okay. It's okay to leave the profession that you've literally been working towards since I was seven, I have a, I have a piece of paper framed some artwork and you know, those papers when you were little, like the top of it was blank and the bottom had those big old lines and in the middle had the dashed lines, like to help you learn how to write. I have a paper like that, that says, I want to travel the world like a vet in a Jeep and help animals and travel the world all over. Like I said that at at seven. So it was hard for me to kind of pivot and get out of that track that I was in for however, 20 years. That's like your identity. Yeah. Yeah. It it became my identity. Right. Right. And as a pre-veterinary student, that's, that's what they tell you. They say, you've got to focus on this. You've got to 
keep your eye on the prize. If you don't do all of these checkbox things, you will not get into vet school. And I came to realize like, that's not the end all be all. And that was like a, a revelation for me. I'm like, I can do other things. Vet school, there's what, only 24 vet schools or 26 vet schools. Mm-hmm. And, and so they do say it is much more competitive than medical school. It is. It is. Yeah. And I, I only applied one time. I applied to three schools and was put on the wait list for one and didn't get into any of them. So that rejection also was like, like, oh my gosh, this is not meant for me. Like, I'm going to do all of these things to make my application so much better. But it was in doing those things that I realized how much I am capable of outside of one, the veterinary profession to my goal of going to vet school. So I, I started all of these, you know, different side tracks and found a lot of joy in doing them and started to realize that vet school, although it is an ultimate goal, is getting farther and farther away. And is that scary or what, like, how do you view that? What does that mean to you? Yeah, that, that was scary because it's like, that's all I've known, you know, for the past few years. So what's next? So what is possible now I have to, it's like taking, you know, a blindfold off and seeing like, oh crap, like there's so many other possibilities. Like I literally can do whatever I want. I I have over 4,000, four or five, 10,000 hours. I've been in the veterinary profession, like in an actual hospital for six years, like 40 hours a week times six years, you know, however many hours that is. I have plenty of experience. I can, I can look at something coming in the door of an animal hospital and be like, mm, it's probably got a yeast infection and they're probably going to send it home on this, you know, and that I have plenty of experience, but looking around and seeing that the realm of possibility literally increased exponentially once I changed my focus, it was one terrifying, but it also was reassuring that's why kind of my my moniker in my business is be you create and it's being yourself and creating a life that you want to live that you deserve to live that you're happy to live because i had to i had to do that for myself i had i had to be myself and realize like i am a creative person the veterinary industry doesn't really allow you to be creative it is very stringent but I can do things that kind of involve this industry, involve something I'm passionate about, which is horses, and be that creative person. Yeah, so with, because I was just thinking, like, when we've talked, and even just that you've mentioned is that that school's not off the table, and that you are, you were thinking of that school in the next couple of years. Yeah. Your future. And so if you are pivoting how is that going to impact your competitiveness Mm -hmm. from straight vet to which is like you know is um going to lead you to vet school versus a business owner yeah yeah people told you how that will impact your application i mean they may like the diversity of it your experiences No, no, I haven't really discussed that with anyone, but I do know that the vet school, at least the NC State, they have like a a club 
or something that like or some sort of association it's like a business kind of association or whatever that you can get involved in and and i i have a theory um you know it may piss some people off but i have a theory there's there's a lot of unhappy veterinarians and i don't plan to be one of them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you know you're saddled with this monstrous amount of debt and from vet school from from vet school yeah Mm -hmm. and and you kind of have to figure out like you know when you come out of vet school the your price your your salary you know isn't enough to live a luxurious life and and still pay off your your bills so people are still coming out of school with modest salaries so my thought process was how do i position myself so that when I come out of vet school, I hit the ground running. I want to be able to make money while I'm in school. I want to be able to pick up, not necessarily where I left off when I come out of school, but I wanna be able to add that, that value and in conjunction with my ability to practice medicine. I said, okay, you know, let's focus on building a business, building a brand that can sustain itself because there's nothing else like that out here. So that's what I'm, you know, working to do until I, I feel like I'm comfortable enough to apply again and enter a program that I can be proud of. Yeah, because I was thinking in that organization we were talking about is that is the Business Management Association. And that's what I was just thinking is that veterinarians own their own hospitals and businesses like the small vet clinics and whatnot so it's that piece of you don't take i don't think management classes in school right right a lot of us know how to practice medicine but they don't know how to run a business Mm -hmm. and that whether you're you're a small private practice owner or if you work for a company you will have a much better understanding of how your practice runs if you even have an inkling of business. You know, there's a lot of places where the management gets pushback from the veterinarians on different things because the veterinarians don't understand how to run this business. Mm -hmm. So I think knowing, having that understanding and being able to portray that on an application, I'm not saying it's, it's going to be a shoe in, but I am going to say that you're never, they're never going to have seen an application like mine. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and when I worked with the pre-vet students and working with the vet school to encourage diverse students to engage with the vet school and diverse students who may be under-resourced to be able to get the opportunities and hours that would make them a competitive applicant, that was one of the things that they talked about is to focus on the diversity because they get tons of 3.8 middle-class, upper-class women who have worked with cats and dogs yeah and so it's that piece of how you how you're going to separate from the and i don't know i'm kind of speaking out of from ignorance because i haven't been involved in a couple of years with the vet school um if that's still the overwhelming population of vets and vet students yeah yeah i um i i talked to someone who's very close in uh that realm so dr kennedy you know i love him 
and ever and he is still like a raging he he is he is the example that i follow of a veterinarian that that doesn't seem to be miserable <laughs> mm -hmm. he, um, he told me that they are trying to craft their veterinary classes their their, their student classes to model the demographics of North Carolina. They want to model who they serve, the community they serve. And he also told me that North Carolina is 20% African-American. Yeah. So I think that they are trying their best to uh, highlight and, and hone in on those people that are, are equally qualified, but maybe kind of push push lower down on the on the list just because there's an abundance of you know cookie cutter people with three point mm -hmm. so i think they are doing a better job about that yeah and i know that when i was working with the vet school on these topics that was the piece they were talking about is like nationally as a profession they were being held accountable of diversifying the population of vets even with regard to small animal of they're graduating too many small animal vets that can't find jobs or whatnot. And I'm sure that leads to the miserableness, you know, of yeah. to vet school, you get out of vet school and then you can't find a job <clears throat> and you don't know it. Like nobody tells you that there's an uh, overwhelming amount of small animal vets that there's just not a need for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh. but, but I also feel like a lot of times, well, it's definitely because there's a younger demographic going into vet school at this point. I mean, coming straight out of undergrad. But if you've been in a, if you've been in the industry, you know, long enough, I've, I've been in a practice for six years. And I could tell you that I could tell you that on year two, like there's entirely <laughs> too many of you know, it is so incredibly oversaturated, even here in Raleigh, that there's people coming out that that are all upset because they the only jobs they can find are in rural areas and yada yada when you could have admitted somebody who wanted to focus on rural medicine and mm -hmm. large animal medicine, you know? So mm -hmm. it's, it's a balance. I understand that it's difficult, but all I know is that as they start to represent the community that they're in, it will it will get a lot better. Yeah, and back to Dr. Kennedy because he's so supportive of our you know trio students also, and um, he would talk about it was Kier that we talk about he would go volunteer with him on Fridays, and it was just like go run and tackle that llama because that's yeah. the only way. Yeah, yeah, I. <laughs> had so many life lessons like i've had times where i caught a goat like one goat with by by the horn and then another goat was running past me and i had i caught the other one by his horn and i got two goats flying like kite <laughs> bouncing off walls in each of my arms and he's just standing there like i'm like help me sir <laughs> Yeah, I'm a student. <laughs> hey, I'm like flying to goat kites. Can you give me a hand? But he so much experience from Dr. Kennedy. Like it's just ridiculous. Yeah, because you did you did castrating of sheep, didn't you? Yeah, we castrated goats, sheep, 
I mean, uh, sheared lambs, like trim feet, give vaccines, draw blood, like the whole shebang, whole mm -hmm. shebang. And mm -hmm. to see this, I won't say he's giant, but he's like at least like six two or six three. You pretty big, <laughs> yeah. And to walk up to this llama and just like put his face near their face, and he's just like, hmm, like you got to hum to him. I'm like, no, Dr. Kennedy, what I'm not going to do is llama's <laughs> face. I don't care what he wants. <laughs> you can do that part because you got to come back and see this llama, but not me. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you're getting paid and probably have better health insurance than I do. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you want to explain who Dr. Kennedy is? So people, even the pre-vet students for TRIO, they know how to reach out to him and why they would reach out to him. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Kennedy uh, runs his own practice, the Small Ruminant and Camelid Mobile Veterinary Service, I think it's called. Um, he's also in the North Carolina Association of Minority Veterinarians, and he is like the diversity inclusion director over at the College of Veterinary Medicine at NC State. So he has multiple roles, but he is definitely all about diversity, all about providing students with experiences and can definitely give you some stories that mm -hmm. you wouldn't like, you can't make this thing up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's been at NC State probably for 20 years. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So he knows what's with regard to vet school application, and he's on the selection committees. So if you, there, the saying goes, it's like not who, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. Yeah. And so that's the piece of having somebody who knows you. And that's like, you, like you can't, the power of that, like you, there's no way you can earn that. Yeah. Yeah. Net networking, networking is everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's like critical people to to connect with on campus, and those critical people are those people in the admissions committee. <laughs> so, oh yeah, yeah. And so another one of those, I think, is was your academic advisor, Dr. Trevetti. Yeah, it's so funny because she wasn't even my advisor. My advisor, oh. my advisor sucked. My advisor asked me how long vet school was my freshman year and I said this is not going to be for me I'm not going to talk to you outside of I need you to approve I need you to hit that button to approve my classes okay just did thank you I literally did that for seven additional semesters like mm -hmm. I'm like I'm not meeting with you you don't get to choose my classes like I don't care what you have to say mm -hmm. then I found Dr. Trevetti and I was like I'm going to follow everything that you say, <laughs> but mm -hmm. she, she wasn't my advisor, but I did work in vet pack. Mm -hmm. I, was a, I was an intern there. So she, we got really close then. Yeah. Cause that's a common problem or complaint concern, even though like a worry for a lot of students is that they don't have faith confidence in their academic advisor or they don't connect. And that's really scary when you say you're responsible for helping me graduate. Like you're who I'm supposed to come to for that. But if I don't have faith, confidence, connection, what does that mean? Right. So, so 
if you want to go into and that's an example of how to deal with that if you right. have other mentors right 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 yeah so that's I, i'm not gonna sit here and say that's an nc state problem because i definitely got my master's at uf and it, i had the same issue but i'm gonna go into that in a second that's but, university of florida yeah 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 university of florida mm -hmm. so you you definitely have to seek out those people that are going to be for you whether they you know have experience and where you want to go or they know how to get you to that place dr trevetti so many people were scared of her so many people were like oh my gosh this is the hardest class i have ever taken yada 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 her anatomy and physiology class i loved it absolutely loved it and i i just connected with her personality she's a very direct and very no bs and and that is what i needed at that mm -hmm. time you know everybody was all fluff and trying to hide opportunities because i mean the pre-vet world is very competitive so you know dr trevetti was always always sharing stuff with me you know i started working at vet pack so i was able to to kind of get on that team to help share opportunities for other pre-veterinary students but that also kind of put the bug in me to to create these opportunities for other students that's why i did the equine health series which was uh just like a public health program for the horse industry and taking veterinarians out to different events and doing coggins and doing vaccines and things for people who may not be able to afford farm calls or they are in a central location so they can get that done they don't have an excuse mm -hmm. so and, and it wasn't free you know the veterinarians still got paid but they would discount the farm call mm -hmm. because they would have so much you know business otherwise yeah so you know connected with dr trevetti kind of put spurred the the momentum of connecting with different industry professionals so much so that i got to the point between dr Vet, dr trevetti and the equine health series that people knew me before i walked in the room like i remember one time at the vet school because i volunteer for everything at the vet school it was for the equine health symposium and I'm like, that's where I want to be. I want to be in this symposium with all of these horse veterinarians. Mm -hmm. And I was setting up the the table and this vet student was like, you know, just being snarky, like, no, put this over here. You know, no, not like that. And I'm like, okay, girl, it's okay. <laughs> you don't have to talk to me like that, but all right. And mm -hmm. Dr. Fernando Cardenas. And you said that to yourself. You didn't say that to her. No, no. I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, how you manage that professionally <laughs> professional but i'm sure my face probably said girl if you don't get out of here mm -hmm. um, but dr fernando cardenas comes in to get his lunch and she's like oh dr cardenas it's so good to see you and he's like yeah it's good to see you too and then he looks down the table and he's like i'm brianna i was like oh what's up dr cardenas how you been how's the wife how are your kids oh my god and she her jaw dropped i was like okay see this is what happens when you make sure that people know who you are and, and what you want and you know what your aspirations are because i talked to him already because 
I had two of his veterinarians come out to do an equine health series clinic. So, you know, be, care be careful who you who you mess with because you never know who they're in touch with. Mm -hmm. Now, how were you able to do all this stuff while knowing that the GPA for vet school is so important and com like competitively like a high GPA? Yeah, I kind of got to the point where I started to see that I was making more of a difference in my community than people with high GPAs. And so I think that's kind of where the, the pivot may have started because I was like, yeah, I know I need a high, high GPA, um, but I also know that I'm not good at organic chemistry too. Like, you know, I, I know what I need, but I also know where my strengths lie. So I'm going to take getting a 3.2, a 3.1. I'm going to take that chance and be able to, to deliver myself with a diversity of experiences and actual impact than a 3.8 and someone who doesn't even, you know, only done research and can't even talk to a client in a clinic so i i took that chance it might not be for everybody but that was kind of my outlook on it because i did a lot of stuff in undergrad that definitely affected my gpa but here i am six years later and it's definitely pushed me farther than my gpa did mm -hmm. yeah and then one of the ways to to counterbalance the, the undergrad GPA for vet school is to earn a master's. Mm -hmm. And so you just mentioned that you did that at University of Florida. Yeah. 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 I started at University of Florida in 2017. Yeah. And I finished May of this year and it was the same way. My advisor was mediocre for lack of a better word at this point, but I just remember, and it's funny how these things happen in initial conversations, but you know, you're supposed to do an online meetup with your advisor because I was in an online program. So thankfully when all of this COVID stuff hit, it didn't really affect my learning ability because I was already online. But yeah, I remember in my initial me meeting with my preceptor, my advisor, I just, he was like, so what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, I mean, I feel like I got a lot of options. Like, do I have to decide right now? And it was like, after that, like it was just completely dismissed. And I'm like, oh, you know, I see you studied in France. How'd you like that? Well, if I didn't like it, I wouldn't have gone. Okay, sir. Well, do you have anything else for me? Cause I'm about to go. It just wasn't warm. It, it wasn't that much of a supportive situation and Fast forward two and a half years, because I did end up taking a semester off because I canceled a class that I needed. Doing my, my capstone, my final like experience research project thing, he told me that my plan was too ambitious. I was like, sir, do you know who wow. I am? You really don't know who I am because I'm like, I have a plan. Like, it's not that ambitious, but okay. I'll do, you know, your, your minimal suggestion which I ended up working at the pub public health department, but I definitely had a different 
plan in mind would have resonated a lot more kind of with the the one health community that I was trying to be a part of yeah that kind of rubbed me the wrong way and then I was just like if you don't sign this paper so I can get my degree and get out of here like I'm done with you got a couple of questions but I'm just like how are you immune to that because I do know that current students experience that and I'm sure you experience you experience that as grad where not only being an informed advisor, but it's also somebody that says you can't do it. So it's not even being uninformed. It's actually being harmful. Yeah. Yeah. Disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I come from a very supportive, very thoughtful, like my parents always, if there was something I want to do, my parents were going to at least put me in it to try it. If, if there was something like I said, I think I'm going to do this. And they're like, I mean, okay, just let us know how we can help. I was so, I'm so thankful that I had that because that, that put the confidence in me, mm-hmm. you know, saying like, you are capable of doing mm-hmm. anything you put your mind to. And they mm-hmm. know if I put my mind to something, you know, too, like mm-hmm. it, it happens. Like it happens. I'm going to make it happen. It might take me a while and I might struggle, but I'm going to make it happen. So when, you know, when dealing with, you know, these advisors that just simply don't seem to get it, I I like to gauge, like, how much do I need your approval? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If it's not very much, then I'm just going to continue to do what I, I feel needs to be done, but mm-hmm. I felt like with the master's degree that I did need a lot of his approval to get this piece of paper that I just spent a lot of money on. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I said, okay, I'm going to do what you suggest. And I got a, I got an internship at the public health department and that was cool. You know, it wasn't what I wanted to do, but it achieved, it made me get my degree. So mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was, I'm actually guilty of, (laughs) what do you want to say, of questioning you, not respecting your decisions. Sarah, it didn't make sense. Like, I realized, so so I, I tell this, you can tell the story if you, (laughs) I remember the day I, I talk about you, our interactions with all of that to so many students, (laughs) so. And I laugh about it. So anyways, yeah, you want to tell the story? Yeah, so I don't even remember. I felt like we had like, I don't know, monthly meetings or something. Like I would have to meet with you and share <laughs> things that happened in my life. So first, I got a dog. And, you know, I was like, Sarah, it's not that big of a deal. You know, there's me and my three roommates. We got it together. I'm not going to struggle because of it, right? So did I say that I you were going to struggle or that was, I expressed a concern. You expressed concern. You said that's a lot of responsibility. You need to make sure you're, you're ready for that. And, you know, cause you still want the dog to have a quality of life, which I got a hundred percent. And so, and so then like the next month I came in, I sat down and you're like, what's new in your life? And I was like, <laughs> so don't get mad. <laughs> but I bought a horse. <laughs> and you like I don't know something slammed you were like you did <laughs> I was like I know I know but he's so cute I got him from the vet <laughs> I 
and try to get connections at the vet school. Like I had, I had so many reasons. I said, <laughs> this is, this is honestly a good idea. Because were you a junior at the time? I was a sophomore. It was my my spring semester. No, fall semester of my sophomore year. Oh, my heart rate's gone. If I had a Fitbit on, I think I would send my blood pressure. <laughs> so said like WTF. <laughs> yeah. So now when I tell that, may have turned around my chair. It was like I can't look at you right now. Yes. 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 Sarah was like, how are you going to get into vet school when you have to raise a baby horse? I didn't even get like a, a grown horse that knows things. <laughs> I got a, a six month old weanling that was literally just taken from his mom and decided that I was going to raise him. So that was cool. When I tell the story, I, do, I tell people like I did this thing that I do not recommend. I, I am thankful 100% that I did it because that that stuck me into the horse industry and got me connections that I have now mm -hmm. because I needed mm -hmm. to patronize these businesses. Mm -hmm. But I don't recommend anybody else do that unless, you know, you really, really, really have a plan. So the thing was, I was working a part-time job. I was working like 20 hours a week in a co-op at mm -hmm. AT&T. So not only was I... I having to raise this horse i was working and still taking between 15 to 18 credit hours mm -hmm. so i think the con i you know i think the combination of all of that affected my gpa i can't say it was the horse primarily but i had to keep the job to support the horse so <laughs> <laughs> everything together it did affect my gpa so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean I, I have a very, very good habit of finding things that I enjoy and sticking to that. Like, I know this was the plan, but this is, I'm having a lot of fun doing this. So I'm going to do this for a little bit. <laughs> and that's happened that's, several times in my life. So, yeah. And so that's the piece too. It's like students who are burned out, stressed out, like they actually don't have any joy. Mm -hmm. They're taking physics and organic chem and mm -hmm. all of that stuff. But actually the horse was a, and all that came along with that, that was actually a, a, a positive. In yeah, the outlet. it was an outlet of something. I didn't have to, I didn't have to, you know, know a formula to, mm -hmm. to make that relationship work. Mm -hmm. And the horses, I mean, animals in general, but horses, they have therapeutic abilities you know that's why they're used in in therapeutic riding programs and things like that um so i, I definitely think that owning and raising that horse through college contributed to my confidence contributed to my ability to network with people because i had some substance about my life like i wasn't just a student i was i was doing other things i apologize for responding <laughs> so negatively and emotionally of not even hearing your reasoning and your plan of taking care of it so i do apologize i don't want to be one of those <laughs> no, in your life when i'm looking back like now i can see all these things that really sound good but then 
I didn't have a plan. <laughs> it was just like, I saw this baby horse and I was like, he's really cute. And they said $250. And I was like, what? I just got this real good job. Yeah, I'm going to get it. Like it, there wasn't like a real major super duper plan back then. So I think your I think your response was quite warranted. Is just now hindsight twenty twenty. Yeah, for the trajectory of my life at this point. Mm-hmm. Back then it was like, girl, you are so crazy. Well, and I think that's the thing too. Is it's the the expense is not necessarily the horse. It's taking care of the horse. Right. Like they're very expensive animals, you know, to have or potentially expensive with vet bills and mm-hmm. food and all of that and boarding, paying for that. So, yeah, that's like a monthly expense of a child. Oh, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, quite difficult. So the other piece, too, that now that NC State, so we're recording this in um, September 2020 which is in middle is in the middle of the COVID crisis where university for undergrads has gone to online learning and online learning is was not the choice of students and it was brought about in like an emergency situation it was next we're going on online whether and of not having the it's like oh well I'll just you know, take other classes that are online. Like it literally was not a choice. So what is your advice to be successful in online classes? I think that it is very important to start on the work the day it's assigned. I know that's kind of random, but a lot of times, and and I struggled in the beginning, you know, it it was, like a two-year program and I struggled to adjust because I hadn't been in school in what three and a half years so jumping into it I'm like oh you know I'll get to that in a little bit and then the next thing I know the deadline you know is imminent Mm -hmm. so a lot of times when you know, I'm looking through lectures or you know looking at the syllabus to see what's due I would say, let me go ahead, you know, open the document, go ahead and get some words down. Even if I have to write a paper, just outline the thing real quick. And then I'll come back to it, you know, next week when I have more time, something like that. And that way it's kind of already like when I, when, and if I get into crunch time, I don't have nothing, you know, I've already started, I've already kind of thought about this at some point and have something down already. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, would suggest communicating with your teacher a lot. Um, I know a lot of people don't like to be that kid or that adult, that person who is like always talking to the teacher and stuff like that. But I had a point where I, you know, cause you have to schedule your exams online with a proctor and all that stuff. Um, I was taking the exam like at the last possible minute that I possibly could. And I, I misread an email and the exam like ended at five on the day before, but on the final day, it ended at noon and I had scheduled to take it at three 30. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh crap. I missed the entire midterm. Like 
is gonna like there's no coming back and so i emailed them i was like hey i thought that it was going to end at five like it did yesterday is there a possibility that you can open this back up so i can take this exam and he did and i was so very appreciative of that because if i wasn't able to take that like i might as well not to, you know finish the class so i think connecting with your instructors even though it's online just i mean shoot them a note say thanks i appreciate that lecture i learned this one thing or you know shoot them a quick question and just show them that you're engaged i think that's definitely a great idea set your calendar to-do list based upon when it's assignments assigned and not when it's due right because sometimes people go okay it's due i'll do it three days before mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just making the plan um yeah and then the other thing i would it's almost which i don't know if this is true or not i may be using the wrong word but it's like forcing yourself upon an instructor yeah like having a close relationship yeah um, um, like that's your, your relationship with your instructor is going to impact your grade to the extent perhaps of your knowledge. Yeah. And even, you know, I, t I, something happened. I didn't realize this was due at this time. A lot of instructors have a no tolerance policy. Can I submit this late? I'm like, yeah, fine. You know, it's because you've already talked to them. Right. And, in a lot of these classes, you don't have to know everything. Like you don't have to know all of the little details, especially when you go into a master's program. It's like more conceptual. They want to know that you have the ability to think, not that you have the ability to regurgitate information. Mm -hmm. so my master's is in health sciences, which with a concentration in One Health. And One Health is the integration of human animal and environmental medicine so basically coronavirus like mm -hmm. and the situation surrounding that um and how all of that kind of works together mm -hmm. and so they want to know it it is a, a big picture degree program so they wanted to know that i had the ability to think in a big picture way because that's what one health professionals have to do Although I did have to learn about all of these different vector-borne, mosquito-borne, water-borne diseases, you know, knowing how they affect people and knowing how people can contract and spread these diseases was much more important than knowing that coccidia is going to be the germ that causes this specific disease. You can't remember everything. So you have to be able to prioritize what you need to know. Yeah, so we divided this podcast because you're so diverse, so experienced, so successful. So the first hour was going to be focusing on your time, you know, with education at NC State. And then the second hour is going to be more of what you've been doing in the last four years or so, and especially what you've done in the last, you know, year and even more recent. So closing of the academic piece, what is your advice to current students to be successful? My advice is pretty much my advice for life. Find something that you are passionate about. Yeah. You can't think about it. You know, you just gotta like just gotta do it and see what happens. And you know, you that flexibility, like like I I realize that I'm not 
at the moment like restricted on anything like i can decide tomorrow that i want to go to cosmetology school because i'm gonna do hair and like that, that's possible like i can do that if i want mm-hmm. yeah you know, the 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 pivot like i guess there there's kind of a a image in like america that you you stick with this one thing and that's what you do for the rest of your life and that's not the case you can you can do whatever you want to do like you can do something completely different one year and go back you know it's the 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 world is is open for that. yeah it's like a level of open-mindedness mm-hmm. um um yeah flexibility not being um there's a term that's like um elasticity yeah yeah that you can TRIO Student Support Services Program and Student Support Services STEM are federally funded college retention and completion programs. These programs focus on academic, personal, and career support for under-resourced undergraduate students. At TRIO SSS and SSS STEM, our goal is helping our students reach their goals. We are currently accepting new students to our program. Apply today. Go to www.ncsu.edu to learn more about Student Support Services at NC State.